welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Ember Kelly. I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. Yes, that name is a handful, but I still like to say it every time just because it is. <laughs> this is part of an ongoing series that we have called Contemplating Pop Culture. And we have done stuff ranging from Zelda, Lord of the Rings, uh, Taylor Swift, Pokemon, um, Spider-Man. We've got it all. We've, we've, we've been covering a little bit of anything and everything. Uh, and so um, we are so excited for an awesome conversation about Star Wars. Um, Star Wars is a, a big and broad topic, and we're going to do our best in our like 45, 50 minutes before the open question and answer time to cover as many topics as we can, diving into some themes like rebellion and resistance, feminism and the working class, revolutionary morality, the chosen one, uh, and maybe even some extra topics if we uh, get into the timing for them. Uh, but we are so excited to have you here, whether you're joining us in the Zoom or later watching us on YouTube. It's great to have you here with us. And I am so excited for my distinguished guest, Talia, who I know from some activism and organizing work that we've done together. Uh, when I started asking around, who knows enough about Star Wars to sit and ramble with me for <laughs> up to an hour about Star Wars, uh, Talia was brave enough to, to say yes. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm so excited for this conversation um, because we have some really great uh, themes to look at. So Talia, would you like to talk a little bit about your connection to the series and maybe your adverse reactions to parts of the series? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the intro. Um, I am very excited to do this because my very first memory is from when I was two or three on a bear rug watching the trash compactor scene from A New Hope. And it has that memory is like one of those core memories that you have and I have always loved Star Wars since then so I'm delighted to actually talk about and use all this knowledge I have gained for like 30 plus years to do this talk. Um, I am very anti prequels. I just want to put that out there. I have noticed that there is like an age gap, like an age thing, like even if you're a couple years or like two years younger, um, the prequels are accepted. And I just don't understand that. But <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, I'm also very anti um, these special editions of episodes four, five, and six because of the atrocities that George Lucas has committed to the original films, such as replacing. Um, but then Rogue One came out, and that's like that is where my heart is at this point. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Amber? <laughs> well, you know, I will take that that dagger to the heart of even those you know a few years younger than you. Um, <laughs> as a as a freshly uh, 34 year old uh, uh i do not have a hate for the prequels i can understand critiques of the prequels um and in fact maybe i spent a large portion thinking they were not as good 
But as especially recently, I have come to admit that possibly my favorite is episode three, uh, that Revenge of the Sith, that nothing can quite lure me in like that opening sequence with the planes over Coruscant and just beautiful. Um, but it helps that, you know, while you were writing constructive papers uh, in your senior year about Star Wars, I was drawing inspiration from Star Wars to run for dictator of my high school. Um, and in high school, uh, I went to a private, very Christian Pentecostal school, and I liked to ruffle feathers a little bit. And so mostly it was like the popular athletic kids that ever ran for um, student council. And I said, you know what? Like, I am the nerdy kid. I am the awkward kid. I'm going to run for dictator and make a whole farce out of this. Um, but then I ended up winning. Um, but the um, Star Wars Episode Three was released literally the day of the vote. So I went and saw it at midnight and then on like three hours of sleep, drove and vote, voted in my election and won. Um, but the day before, the a few days before we had speeches where we got to like go give them and my whole team came in with like the lights dimmed, the Imperial March playing and like red lightsabers, um, you know, lighting up around the room. It was, it was beautiful. It was a work of art for young, um, young me. It's, you know, too bad it wasn't in the Tumblr days um, because I'm sure it would have gotten a lot of, you know, viral reach there. Um, but also perhaps good because uh, in, in my younger years in a conservative setting that likely would have pulled me more towards like an alt-right sort of uh, direction. So I can be thankful it happened when it did. Um, but I too also, we have, uh, as we prepared for this, I um, uh, really uh, realized we both have a passion for Rogue One as um, perhaps our, our commonality um, of passion for Star Wars. Um, I refuse to acknowledge that episode nine exists so I can um, understand that. Um, I have a eight-year-old son who really enjoys Star Wars and um, he'll be like, oh, well, you know, this happens in number nine. And I said, well, that didn't happen. Um, and, um, and also in Star Wars fashion, I uh, refuse to believe uh, in this latest High Republic rollout because nothing can beat uh, the Old Republic as the actual history. Uh, and so that is that is my um, intro to my feelings <laughs> and relationship with this series. Um, I've yeah, I've played a lot of the video games. Um, I even read some of the extended works, um, and we were talking about that a little bit. And if we get to it, we'll talk about legends and this erasure of legends. But why don't we start out kind of talking about one of the things that really connects both of us uh, in our in our love for Rogue One and with more recently Andor. Um, the themes of rebellion and resistance. The, the rebellion is a big part of, of what these, um, what these, this whole series is about. Uh, would you like to start us out thinking about um, rebellion in the series? Yeah, so originally the original trilogy, um, so that'd be New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, George Lucas, like, was one of those anti-Vietnam War, like, college students, and that's what those movies were about. It was about the Vietnam War. It was about the empire, the evil empire, the U.S., trying to crush the rebellion, which were the Vietnamese. 
And you can especially see this like with the Ewoks when they're on Endor and like, and the guerrilla warfare that is happening is, uh, is the Ewoks trying to do whatever it takes to destroy and crush this empire that is trying to invade their lands. And this, this theme of like an occupier coming into an indigenous planet will continue. I'll talk about that a little later. Um, but it's really something to keep in mind that the evil empire is the US. And it is very interesting now, like the shift that has happened between, it just showcases how the US has taken this like anti-US like movie series and has shifted it into like, oh, but we're, we're the good guys. Like we're the good guys in all of this. Like Emperor and I were discussing this earlier about how Reagan like in the eighties, like named his like weird like it, it was a like anti-ballistic missile thing like star wars like where they blew up like you were saying they like blew up like missiles in space or whatever it was. at least that was his dream i don't think it ever actually happened but yeah he no. named it star wars yeah got one even even related to that you had um the the prequels why you may have had a dislike of them there was some <laughs> There was some solid anti-Bush feelings that Lucas was expressing in those movies, especially with like this idea of the emperor usurping powers through unjust wars. Like that was very much a, a direct critique of Bush at the time, um, at least as direct as Hollywood was brave enough to be at the time. <laughs> I'll maybe have to give the prequels another go now that I've never thought of it that way. I guess I was just so wrapped up with this is... Jar Jar Banks and all of this stuff. I can't handle it. <laughs> we'll we'll resist the urge to go into Darth Jar Jar. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so one of the things that, you know, uh, oh gosh, there's so many ways that I could take this. And actually I'm gonna take a slight, a slight side. I don't know if you've watched all of like the like deleted scenes from like the original series, the ones that like didn't make the cut. Some of them, seen? yes. Okay. So there is one where it's like Luke talking with Wedge, I think. Or Biggs. He's talking, he's talking with one of his friends. And it's interesting because they still managed to work in some some like anti um USSR propaganda, even though it's like a pro-Vietnam, anti um US sort of movie. They work in some um, like, oh, well, the empire is collectivizing farms now. That's not going to be good for anybody. Um, so, you know, he, Lucas was still not able to escape his cultural context, even though he has kind of tried in many ways. Um, you know, Star Wars is still very much a product of, of its culture and its time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Um... I wish I had seen that scene. <laughs> I just I just thought of it now, so I had to bring it up. Yeah. I, will, I will send it to you later. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, uh, the original trilogy, like, minus, and we might get into this later, minus the whole force thing, what makes it so appealing is that these are, like, just everyday people, other than, like, Leia and Luke, because Leia is a princess. Luke is, has the force. But, like, the fact that like Han Solo, what drew me to Han Solo so much is that he's just an ordinary guy. He's just like trying to get along. He's doing the hustle, whatever. Like 
and all while trying to fight this like massive evil empire these are just ordinary people like and it just shows like I'll get into this a little more with Rogue One but it just shows like the power of what like an average working class person can do is like really shape the future for the better well what was it I think there was a it's probably like a, a, a tweet turned into a Tumblr post turned into a Facebook meme um, but I saw it the other day talking about Han Solo as like, you know, he's just this like trucker who um, then brings uh, the son to his dad's battle station. Um, kid helps helps the save the kidnapped daughter, um, and then comes and blows that. comes and blows up the the dad's ship later in the same movie, and then marries the daughter in the end. Um, it's really a story about Han Solo, I like to think. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so so Rogue One, our, our, our shared passion here. I, the thing that makes it, you know, so episode three is one of my rewatchable re ones, but Rogue One is definitely up there in terms of one that I feel like I can sit down and watch repeatedly. Um, and I think one of the things that is so appealing uh, about it is something you mentioned there, that it's just like average people, um, you know, like Star Wars, the original series, especially the way it's told is very much this hero's journey. Um, you know, the traditional structure of like having a wise mentor moving through, you know, having a challenge, rising to the challenge, all these things. But in Rogue One, it's just like, things suck. Um, and what are the average ordinary people going to do about it, you know? Maybe one of them just happens to be related to the Death Star designer. Um, but besides that, the others are just, you know, average everyday folks trying to figure out how to how to fight this rebellion. And I really appreciated it giving us that more inside view of the rebellion. And I know Andor, which I am not, have not watched a ton of, I will confess. Um, I've been busy, um, has also kind of done the same in really um engaging this this ground level perspective of what goes on in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and like I I saw Rogue One in the theaters when it came out and like the ironic part is is that Disney already owned it at this point. But it came out like after Trump was elected, blah blah blah. But like I like cried in the theater like at the end be not at the very end but at the end because like these are just really normal people these are people that are like forgotten about they're just average everyday people they don't have the force they don't have anything nothing is special about them but when they all come together they they do something really amazing and um but at the end, you think like, oh, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. This is a Disney movie. Like, no one's going to die. But they all die at the end. And it's like, wow, they like did all of this to stop, to try and stop this empire for the greater good. They tried and they like sacrificed their lives for the greater good. And at the very end, like, the, the movie of Rogue One is about them getting the Death Star plans and then getting those Death Star plans to Leia. 
And that's where episode four begins is when she gets the, the plans. But they all die. And I just thought that was just like absolutely incredible that they would show that in a film because so many films these days just like shy away from people dying and um especially like the two main like like the two main protagonists just die and um I don't know I like I still cry when I watch it it's just so powerful and so moving and it's like Every every kid who's watching that movie probably thinks, oh, that could be me. I could be part of something that's like for the greater good. Like, and it, you don't have to have the force to make a change. You can just be you. Um, and I just think that's really, really incredible. And you can do all of that just to end up as a as a fan edit uh, set to a Phoebe Bridgers song on TikTok. Um. <laughs> Which is now like one of the primary ways that I ever think of the ending of Rogue One, thanks to being online just a little too much. Um, I have thankfully stayed away from any fan vids, any fanfic, any it's of that. It's coming later then. Like I'm, I'm sending this edited video and I'm sending this, um, you know, like, there we go. I, um, I will admit that the first fanfic I ever wrote when I was, I was about I was in second grade and it was Star Trek meets Star Wars. So, and it was mainly focused on Han Solo. So. Well, if we're talking fanfic as those, those early works in third grade, my friend and I would write stories um, like we'd sell, sell them then to our friends. Like we'd go to the copy machine and make copies and then sell them for like five cents. And um, one of mine was about Boba Fett surviving the Sarlacc pit. Um, so I called that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Mandalorian is also very great, but yeah, right. we can talk about that later. <laughs> right. Well, and then, you know, so Rogue One um, kind of gets on, on the surface level. You might not be as passionate about the prequels, but Clone Wars also like often kind of shows like these struggles that these individual planets had going on or that like oftentimes it was maybe more complicated than like, hey, we're on the robot side. Hey, we're on the clone side. They like these planets were trying to figure out which side like actually cared about them um and you know were they um just a pawn for the republic or were they um you know could they find freedom with the confederacy of independent systems um like so i, I always appreciated the really down um and focused nature of those too um and i know you mentioned a little bit of notes uh about in the notes about um talking talking about like an and or like seeing the impacts of this uh occupation by the imperials that the imperials then proceeded to colonize the galaxy even more than the republic had mm -hmm. um do you want to talk about that a little bit as the more experienced watcher of yes. the new series so i've been up okay cassian andor was uh one of the two protagonists in uh, Rogue One. So Andor is actually a prequel TV show before Rogue One. And um, obviously, because he dies at the end of Rogue One. Um, but um, so far, Andor is in, I think, I think there's six episodes. I'm on the sixth one right now, but it is absolutely incredible. Um, it really shows like the effects that these occupants that the empire is occupying all of these planets like 
Andor, like Cassian, like is indigenous to this one planet, and you don't really realize these are flashbacks to his childhood until like a couple episodes later. But he's indigenous, and he sees like this huge open pit mining that's happening on his land, and him and the rest of uh, his um uh, his uh family like go in to try and see like who are these people doing this to our lands and it ends up with the empire killing some of the um i'm sorry this is spoiling but uh killing some of um hashtag spoilers yeah (laughs) some of his family and he like goes onto the ship the empire ship and like just like loses his shit i'm sorry if i'm not supposed to swear but uh (laughs) well i won I apologize. Uh, but but then it ties into this whole white savior thing because his his adoptive parents like save him from this empire ship. Like these are uh, rebellious members of the rebellion who adopt him. But um, you could argue that it's a white saviorism with these white people adopting like right. this indigenous um, boy. Um, but so that's like in the first couple of episodes and then it flashes back to the present on the current planet he's on. And like, it, it's really reminiscent to me of occupied Ireland, especially in the six counties, especially during the troubles in the seventies of um, like, they do like an exact scene that you see in um, videos of like Belfast of like, the RUC coming to into these Republican areas and what was happening in Belfast at that time they would take like uh, trash cans and like make a lot of noise so people know that the RUC is coming and in this episode of Andor they do exactly the same thing to alert like Andor and the other rebels that um that uh the empire is coming or like (laughs) actually it's not the empire at this point the empire is employed based what are essentially mall cops to keep an eye on uh these occupied planets um and you could argue the ruc is basically mall cops um (laughs) but uh but yeah like just seeing that and seeing how like these working class like communities like really looked out for each other, even if they weren't really involved directly with the rebellion, they still like took care of each other by alerting each other about it. Um, in another episode, uh, they um, he Andor gets taken to another um, uh, planet and he's like, why is this so empty? It's so green. It's so lush. Like, where are all the people? And they talk about how 40,000 of the inhabitants were pushed out of the highlands and moved to the lowlands, which could be a little reminiscent of Scotland and a little bit of Ireland, um, to be pushed into these, like, economic zones. So they have more, like, job opportunities or whatever the empire has, like, um, promise them that that's also very reminiscent of like real world examples of like an occupying force in a country pushing people clearing the land and something that we 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 know very well um about what clearing the land means and it means opening it up for the destruction of the the land and for open pit mining and what whatever um and uh 
Another one is on the same planet, they're like trying to, the empire wants to dam up these very important rivers. And uh, as we can see, like I'm pretty sure even in South America and indigenous struggles, and especially in the Philippines, there are current struggles going on to stop these dams happening. Um, this rerouting of water from like really important farmland, um, but the empire wants to, um, or whatever occupying force, if we wanna talk about uh, America or these multinational corporations damming these rivers up, um, but you see it in Andor. And I think it's, it's really, really crazy that this corporation, Disney, is putting out stuff like this that, like, if you, like, really know your history or if you have, like, a, somewhat of an understanding of colonization, you can see it in and or, like, clear as day. Um, someone, and someone, someone there is sneaking it under the radar. They're like, yeah, and it's like, make, what? Sub, <laughs> I gotta so make this evil. subtext enough so that <laughs> Disney will let this still fly. Um I mean, which, oh gosh, I mean, we could, we could spend the entire rest of the session just talking about the complications of the, of the Disney purchase, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to make a note to do the Disney purchase. Um, you know, and but you're, as you're talking about how real a lot of this is, um, as we were preparing, one of the things we talked about is um, the kind of the perspectives of the other side where there's, you know, um, like women rising through the ranks of of the empire, that it is the empire is this oppor you know, an opportunity for people to achieve this things that they wouldn't have been able to before. Um and um the empire is feminist. Um <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um and, I know and I wrote down girl boss, fashy girl boss energy. Yes, <laughs> which seems appropriate given recent uh, developments in Italy um for us to, to talk about the the feminism in the series. Um, and so there's the, this example from Andor, but I know there's also um, in a slightly more niche um, category of the lore um, in the Star Wars Battlefront video games more recently produced by EA, um, uh, number two, I think. Uh, the whole main plot is that there's like this woman who's become an officer and like an elite unit of the Empire. Um, and um, you know, maybe for a lot of the empire, for the humans in the empire, the empire gave them opportunities that they wouldn't have before because of the anti-alien anti sentiments. Um, and so she's able to work her way into this elite unit, but then she uncovers the evils of the empire and joins the rebellion, um, et cetera, et cetera, because you can't have the entire campaign be about um, be about supporting the empire. People wouldn't, I mean, people probably would still play that, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the series has a, um, a complicated relationship with female characters. Um, I would agree with that. <laughs> you no, know, like Princess Leia, like was maybe great for her time of like female characters, but. Um, you know, maybe leaves a little bit to to be desired in terms of our modern understanding of how to write and um, have female characters. But you get like Jen or so in Rogue One. You get um, yeah, she's we, great. We do get Padme in the prequels. Um, 
and you know the the um alien beast that just randomly rips off the midriff, midriff of her shirt you know as as claws often do um, <laughs> but then you have the whole controversy around that that uh that um why am i blanking on her name um the main character of the sequel series um Right. don't really matter much <laughs> but but there is a whole controversy around the you know a lot of um what um what is it i think i've seen the saying online of having to defend something that i don't like because i know that a bunch of you know alt-right um fanboys are going to be pissed off about it um which is how i feel like about some of the sequels um i but, feel that so you have this whole controversy around like that they have a woman as like the main character but then there's all this hatred directed toward the sequel series um and then so but then disney uses that to like deflect like oh you have criticisms of our series actually you just hate women too so like it's this whole complicated um dynamic of the way that corporations use women the way that um the empire uses women the way that there's there's so many um complicated Star Wars has a complicated relationship with women. Anything that you'd want to highlight? Um, I mean, yeah, the Leia stuff is like, I really loved her growing up, but then hearing about, you know, like the real world, <laughs> like effects it had on Carrie Fisher, especially like this, her being Jabba the Hutt's slave and the bikini and all of that stuff, like, just makes you feel like oh this wasn't good <laughs> like yeah i think it's cool that she like killed him and all of that but it sucks that she like had like such she had like an eating disorder all of that stuff she was on a lot of drugs during that time as well like um we don't have to talk about the holiday special but i think that's a good example of like of how how all of them were really drugged up like in the real world they were and like the effects of like what this series has on these real life people um but uh and I also think about Mon Mothma a lot um she is featured in Andor she's in the first uh, in the last episode that I watched and um just uh, I don't know I really liked her in this um she she doesn't get as much notice as she as in um empire strikes back or return of the jedi like she doesn't get much attention but i i hope with andor it explores her more because right now it's starting to touch on like the thing because she's a senator and she's in power and uh like and it seems like her husband has no time for her politics. Like she really cares deeply about um, other like races, like being treated equally. Um, so it's starting to delve into that, which I think is really fascinating because it's also in juxtaposition to this, this other storyline about this woman who has joined like the security ranks of the empire and they've like these men calling her out on trying to race up the ladder by talking out too much, by demanding too much. So that's where I got that fash girl boss energy thing from was her storyline in, uh, in, um, 
comparison to Mon Mothma's. Right, well, I know Mon Mothma also has some feature in the prequels, um, though mostly in deleted scenes um, that is, you know, kind of behind the scenes planning the rebellion. And I mean, and there's a whole interesting dynamic to talk about there with um, the person, like the, the risk that it takes for her as someone who is a senator um, who it technically does have some political power, but she's coming to realize, oh, hey, this isn't actually like real political power that's actually going to do anything. Like I can't, I can't take away the emperor's power with like, with my Senate votes. Um, Sometimes it's like you can't vote in change. And so she, what does she do? She decides <laughs> to um, start the, join, join in with the rebellion that she, um, is willing to take this risk because sometimes um, things involve that huge risk, which loops us into our next topic. Um, one of my favorite things, uh, a future doctoral thesis, if I ever go back to do doctoral work, is to think about revolutionary morality, um, uh, which gets us back to our maybe more theological and religious minded parts of this discussion as well. Um, and so, we were talking about how we both loved Rogue One um, and how we talk about someone like Mon Mothma who has to like make this decision to risk her own personal good to like, um, she said, you know, she she acknowledges that if she got found out that this would be deadly to her. Um, and so in, in Andor um, and in Rogue One, especially you see, um, you know, I mean, Rogue One, when you're first introduced to Cassian, the first scene is him killing the informant because the informant hurts his, you know, has a hurt leg and he knows that he won't be able to keep up as the um, stormtroopers chase after them. He knows that he'll leak the information because clearly the guy was not a strong source. So he has to make the choice to like, what, what do I do to <laughs> keep the rebellion alive um, or let this guy leak all the information to, to the, to the stormtroopers? Um, and so, like, I, I just really appreciated that that movie, you know, versus the hero's journey um, of the main series, that movie just said, rebellion is full of tough choices. Like, doing this work is not the work of rebellion. Doing the work of trying to fight for a better non-imperial world um, isn't easy. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that that will take... Um, will take sacrifice, will take making tough decisions. Yeah, even in the first episode of Andor, he he kills two cops, like at the very beginning. And it's dealing with that fallout of that those choices that he made. Um, so I think it's interesting to see, I think that, to see that part of him and then knowing what happens at the beginning of Rogue One. It's very interesting. That one and does I guess, not count as spoilers because I, I only watched like 30 minutes of the first episode and I got that far. Um. <laughs> um, I guess it also like ties into like the Clone Wars and like the morality of like cloning all of these people. Like those are people. These aren't just like things. Like clones are real people and we see like I, th I think in episode seven, like, isn't it, is, is they, Finn, they, Finn, they is do he wrong? 
No. Um, so in the sequels, they decide not to go with clones, but they do retroactively work in that um, the random guy with a beard in Return of the Jedi, who's like just an old dude and like fatigues and like has a beard, um, they do work in that it's actually like a cl an old clone. Okay. Um, they, like have they have retroactively Disney has written that one in, and I'll I'll agree with them on that one. That that's solid. Oh, in um, Rebels, I don't know if you've seen Rebels. It's a cartoon series, yeah. but they work with like veterans, but they're all clones. Right. Yeah, but so these are these are people. Like so, I mean, that has some huge ethical implications, and I mean, tied into that as far as the Clone Wars and the overall Star Wars series is the use of droids. Um, like so, you have this whole war in the prequels that is clones versus droids. And both sides just see them as these disposable, like, you know, go die, have fun, fight this war for us to determine who wins. Um, occasionally, like the the local peoples get involved, but mostly it's it's the clones and the 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 droids. But both are not seen as really having sentience, not seen mm -hmm. as having any like moral imperative that they continue to exist. Um, they're they're disposable. Mm -hmm. And that just like, it just doesn't sit well with me. And I think that might be why I'm not a big fan of the prequels is that these clones are just like, there's like a lot of violence in the prequels, which isn't like, if you're like, oh, these are just clones they are not really people, but yeah, they actually are. They have thoughts, they have feelings, they have like lives. Personalities. Like personalities yeah they're like real people same with the droids like see three like all every single star wars like thing piece of media has like a droid that has a really good personality like all of this and to just like right. think of them not as a sentient being and most of the time doing clearly like some advanced level of thinking like beyond like what we expect even out of AI nowadays that, you know, we're, we're sitting here with our modern AI technology, like wondering, like, are we getting close to this AI achieving sentience? And these Star Wars characters clearly have even more, um, even, even someone like R2-D2, who is, you know, is supposed to be kind of the, the less smart droid, clearly he's knows what he's doing, right? <laughs> like, because he doesn't speak the language, he's not seen as like, you know, the, the smart droid. Um, and um or but uh and then uh, oh gosh if we're and which leans maybe a little on the feminism too you have so you have the female gender droid in solo um who lando basically <laughs> falls in love with um which is you know there's a whole interesting thing there that if lando can feel love like this for a droid like definitely there must be some sentience going on mm -hmm. and then um, she goes and fights and frees these droids in this um, in the mining in Kessel, and then dies. But then her brain gets put into the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> God, it just it still destroys me to this day. To like, you know, like this first like fully realized like a droid that like even like another human in the not just us from outside of the series. But another human in the series like acknowledged this is like some uh, something that he truly loved and then her brain just gets uploaded into basically the millennium falcon cloud and so the millennium falcon like is 
a person um yeah and that it's all very weird in that this man makes this decision for a woman like if you if you want to look at it from that angle like her agency is completely ripped away from her right but it <laughs> could be a whole nother talk <laughs> i have a lot to say about like droids and things of that nature just because i am very very aware like hyper aware of how we should be treating like Roombas things of that nature because you don't know you don't know like like I was talking to you beforehand about like things that like really bother me is that Jabba the Hutt scene in the basement where there are droids torturing other droids and it like still disturbs me to this day thinking about that like because we all know that ai is programmed with human biases in it like ai can be racist ai can be sexist so that whoever is programming these droids are programming them with their biases um so you get like evil droids and you get like good droids but then you see c3po who was programmed by uh, Anakin turns out to be a great guy. So maybe occasionally annoying, but um, very annoying. <laughs> I mean, so is Anakin. Let's be real. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that, I don't want to get on the sand discussion. <laughs> there, there's a whole discussion there to be had. Then also, like, like what you know, you talk about Roombas, but like what what is sentience? Uh, I took a class in in seminary, like uh, about ecological theology. And the way that we just assume that all other animals like can't think in the way that we do, even though like dolphins can, or is it dolphins or whales that like have dolphins like fashion are trends? Dolphins are evil. Um, <laughs> dolphins are legit but, evil. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's there was whale like a pack of whales that they all started like wearing a dead fish on top of their head, like oh. and it was like this whole fashion trend that like they, this whole pack of like whales they all were like do they'll all copy each other and do the same thing like we. We just assume that we are the best ones and that, you know, so that. We're only the of... best ones because we have thumbs. That's it. <laughs> I can play video games. Can you do dolphins? <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that that same thing applies to the droids. Like what, what is, what does it mean for them to be sentient? Like clearly they're like, and even if they aren't sentient, they are clearly playing such an important role in the society that like, if you took them away, how would Star Wars society function at all? Um, exactly. And I was told that before Disney bought out everything that all of these stories are told from R2-D2's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, to the worlds I think it is um, he's like or yeah so like everything we know about Star Wars pre-Disney is from R2-D2's perspective and from what he heard from other droids and other people hmm I kind of like that it's fun um, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a closing topic um have you ever considered converting to Jedi Jediism? Um, yeah. have you, I have the, the the real world Jedi religion. It exists. <laughs> um, have you Have you considered? Um, 
I have not. Can you explain it a little more? No. So I got involved with it because I was just like intrigued, like as as a concept when I was living abroad and I was back in my Star Wars phase heavily. And I'm like, like people are like really into this. Like this is a whole thing. Like, how does this work? So I, I like people like have like there is like organizations. They're not like huge, but like, you know, effectively like governing bodies that then like have the knights and masters and that they um like have these principles that they study and they seek to live by and they have to like complete a service project to like um you know prove that they're dedicated to like this these principles and like it's not something you can like you could just you know there's a whole thing in like britain that like people filled out their religion as jedi but um to actually join these official units you really got to like do actual um actual work and then yeah you know it's a a big flex to be able to say like i am an actual ordained jedi master um i really think it would up my own credentials if you know (laughs) i could say i am director of religious education and an you know a credentialed jedi master um but um yeah so it's, it's a whole actual religious movement in the real world that people were drawn to these values and said like let's let's live them out do they try to use the force or I think do they, they have the a concept of the more, force? Yeah, like I think they see it in more like a traditional kind of maybe Buddhist sort of sense. Mm. It's like this thing that connects us all. Um, and that a lot of them kind of muse on like what exactly that means. And then, you know, there's like, are you a gray Jedi? Are you a Sith? Are you a... Um, are there Siths? Apparently. I don't know how like super common it is, but like people that um embrace like the sith the sith principles as it as compared to the um i mean which like the sith principles on their own are just very really hedonist like without yeah. like, the, like murdering innocent people and in conquering the galaxy um <laughs> i don't i don't know the, i don't know of any people murdering their mentors like you know i think we're okay. that's good um, i haven't read about any jedi and jedi murders in the real world <laughs> It only takes some time, um, but <laughs> no, like it's it's fascinating the way that people take something from like a fictional universe and instill such real world meaning into it. Like that's yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously we are we're we're having this conversation. Um, I think it really speaks to like how a lot of people are just thirsty or hungry for something higher like a higher power and all of that um and that they find it in pop culture like yeah i am i am in the midst of working on a plan for a course that i'm hoping to offer this year called um fandom astrology and personality test defining ourselves in the 21st century um oh my gosh definitely fandoms and things like being a Jedi, th- these feel like a very modern ways to try and attempt to find some sort of meaning, some sort of um, place to belong in this this time that doesn't feel like there is a lot of a lot of that. Um, yeah, like a sense of community. Because I always got that in the Buffy community. Like growing up, I had that. I was briefly on Doctor Who Tumblr. I will admit that to the public. Um, <laughs> heard here i am currently on taylor swift tiktok like (laughs) these but these things have provided me places to find friends that 
Um, and actually, interestingly enough, our, our message this last Sunday um, was about like how, um, and we do a little discussion attached to it. Um, and we talked about how the sermon itself was about like um, growing up and how we're told to like leave childish things behind. And like, should we like leave behind all of these aspects of our childhood? And um, we were talking about how, especially like millennials um, have really kind of taken more of a turn, especially because like the better world that we were promised growing up doesn't exist, that a lot of us then look to the past, look to these things that that gave us meaning and other moments in our life to find the meaning there because we're not seeing it in the way that the world is headed. Mm-hmm. So. It's nostalgia. We and the companies have realized we like run on nostalgia so that's why we're getting all of these star wars disney especially huh (laughs) disney especially oh yeah like i mean some of the star wars stuff that's coming out is great like i love andor but some of it's not so good like the sequels (laughs) but i mean even if you look at the sequels you have um seven which effectively was just number four repeated like Mm -hmm. you know like all these um same sort of yeah the this play on nostalgia um this longing for for something that doesn't really exist anymore Um, Mm -hmm. the hashtag millennial vibes Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know i think that are we've been so alienated by capitalism by um, the way our society is functioning right now that we're just looking for anywhere that we can feel like we belong whether that's choosing to become jedis in real life or running for dictators or (laughs) writing writing papers about star wars in senior year Um, (laughs) we're looking for places we belong any closing thoughts from you um I'm just really happy I got to talk about this like and from like an sort of like academic perspective because this is really puts into perspective like why I love Star Wars so much even though I hate Disney so very 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 much I am absolutely loving Andor I'm loving I love Rogue One like there's still something that you can learn from these from this property and I just I'm always excited to see like these little hints these little glimpses of like callbacks to things that have happened in in our history like like the throwbacks to like the troubles in Ireland like I really appreciate that and like it is like it can still like these we can still learn from these things in our history and um i think we can learn a lot from just star wars in general on like the importance of the everyday person the working class person and that they can truly change the world for the better um on that note i'm going to end our youtube recording so for those of us who have joined us on youtube Thank you so much for joining us.